Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, turn to the people around and just quickly say Happy New Year if you haven't already. Um, that's enough. Very good. Uh, it's good to see you um, this evening. It's great to be back at the Sixth. Sixth been, has um, been on tour over the Christmas season, so it's kind of the first time back, um, and it's great to be with you. And um, I love the verse that uh, Richard read at the start of, one of the verses he read at the start of um, the service. In a minute, we're going to have the reading for this evening, but if you've got a Bible, um, grab it again. In fact, turn to where we're going to be tonight, uh, in our reading for tonight, and turn to Luke chapter 3. I'm just going to read a verse here from um, Psalm 131, because it sets us up quite well, actually. And, um, uh, but if you're looking for the reading that is for tonight, it's Luke chapter 3. Uh, in a minute, we're going to begin at, at verse 21. And I'm um, just going to remind you of this verse um, that Richard read at the start. Verse 2 of Psalm 131 goes like this. But I have stilled and quietened my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I wonder if that's how you feel at the start of the year. That, that, have you ever, if you've seen a weaned child kind of satisfied, that was crying, was upset, totally satisfied, couldn't feel safer, couldn't feel more secure, couldn't feel more loved couldn't feel more full of milk (laughs) and substitute milk for whatever is your preference. Um, I wonder when's the last time you felt that secure and safe and held. I wonder what the gap between that is and where you're actually feeling this evening or at the start of this year. Wouldn't it be nice if this year or even tonight we could shift a a little bit more towards that. I think we'd all like that, to be honest. In fact, it would be something that we explore a little bit later, is that need that we all have to know that love, acceptance and value that we are cherished and loved and known. So it sets us up quite well for what we're going to be looking at. Turn to um, Luke chapter 3, where you were, and um, I'm going to read three verses, verses 21 to 23, And then I'm going to jump just to the next column and read the first couple of verses of chapter 4. This is the baptism of Jesus. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli. And it continues in a long list of names. And then chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. It's the first thing that happens after his baptism, this incredible um, word, voice from heaven. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Which I always say is one of the great understatements, probably, in all of the Bible. Um, There we are. Keep your finger in there. Uh, We're starting a new sermon series um, at the start of this year. And um, it's about, a little bit about, I guess, how it is that we can have a sense, I guess, a little bit of what we read in Psalm 131. A sense of that closeness uh, with God in this context for every day of the entire year. 
in everything that we're doing, whether it be at work, at school, at home, a sense of settledness and fulfillment, a connection to Jesus and his call for our lives, what it looks like to live as a Christian in the world today and to follow the example of Jesus. And, um, uh, and I have flip charts. I know, I'm expecting a little bit of a reaction when I do this. You ready? Unveiling the first one, are you ready? Yes. And as we're eating a lot of cheese at this time of year anyway, I have a very cheesy start title um, for the talk. Can anybody guess what it is? Do you see what I did there? I had too thick a pen, it ran out of space. But it's much better than this morning because I only had a thin one. Uh, Jesus is for life, not just for Christmas. There we go, cheesy intro to the year. But you'll remember it, um, so there we are. Jesus is for life, not just for Christmas. Um, who can do a little bit of maths? Uh, back to school, you're probably already going back to school. What's the missing number here? I'm not listening to that. What, what's, the, what's the missing number here? 52 plus what equals 365? You didn't expect to have to do maths this evening, did you? 313, well done. Give Salmon a round of applause. Um, 313. And the title of our sermon series is, 52 is the number of Sundays in the year. You might have worked that out, number of weeks, the number of Sundays of the year. Uh, the title of the series, which I actually quite liked, which is, is good, is The Other 313. Um, the Other 313. Um, how is it that we live this life, The Other 313 Days of the Year? Uh, at work and at school. It's part of our vision here, is to make disciples who make disciples, and one part of the bit that falls out of that is that Monday to Sunday, people would know how to live. What's, how does it go? I had to look it up this morning. Monday to Saturday. What, how does it go? The, the vision bit, the Monday to Saturday bit. I had to look it up this morning, and I said, Richard's the only one that really knows this off by heart. Um, something about Monday, here we are, I've got it. Uh, that our people, um, we long that our people would be a movement of God equipped to follow Jesus Monday to Sunday at home and in the workplace. Uh, the idea is that this isn't just what we do on a Sunday. How does this work out in the rest of our week? That took a long time to make that point because I had to get my phone out, but there we are. Um, the 313. So the other 313. Really, what, how is it that we do this throughout the year in every area of our life, in every part of our lives? with some kind of consistency and integrity. And what we've got here, this little drawing here, I don't know if anybody can work it out, what's going on here. If you heard it in the morning, you will. This is meant to represent the fallacy of work-life balance. Um, Because my sense is that all of us, and probably maybe at the start of the year, all of us would love to have a sense of cohesion to our lives, a sense of peace, a sense of fulfilment, a sense of that closeness, perhaps, that peace that that weaned child would feel. And actually the reality is a lot of us, we go back to work and we suddenly feel this tension again between work and life, between school and home, whatever the tension is. And and this is obviously, some of you may know this already, is a complete fallacy. We can't really do this. This presumes that work and life are enemies of one another, that you live at the weekend and then you die and you go back to work. (laughs) That doesn't work. That isn't how it happens, is it? Or school instead of work. Um, and, and it also um, presumes that somehow you can separate the two, as if the person I am, I don't take into, at home, I don't take into work. And actually, there's a tension there because some of us actually do behave differently at home to how we are at school or on social media. You could have a third one here. This is a little person in the middle. You could have got um, school or work here, depending whether you're working or you're at school. Um, here you've got... Um, 
life, the work-life balance, or say you've got home life here. And here, um, let's say here, you, if you're, you're, I'm going with the young people here, this is social media. <laughs> and there's this tension. You're trying to, you're, you're one person over here, and you're another person over here, and you're another person over here. And, and are any of them really you? Really? Is there anywhere that you feel you can be really yourself and feel love, acceptance, and value? Anywhere? And um, how much do these areas interact with one another? So thinking work-life, and the other thing that I put here this morning was was faith, actually. Because sometimes people find it, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking to some people here, find it hard to... um, do your friends at school, do your colleagues at work even know that you come to church on a Sunday? How much do those worlds mix? Or are you, in some sense, even in that, that sense, a different person in those places? And what I want to suggest is that, actually, if we want to... Um, the stronger we get in our sense of identity, of being a weaned child, of knowing the peace and security of that only, actually, I believe, and also I come to see a relationship with God can give us, the more the sense that this space here, where they all cross over, will grow, will go up. And what we really want, actually, is a sense of wholeness, of integrity to our lives, that we're able to be ourselves and secure in that in every environment of the eye, in every day of the year, not just the other 313, even when you're here at church, <laughs> the 365. And... Um, there was, a, there was a word in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that, that they probably use for this sense of kind of just being at peace in your own skin and life being well and it being okay and cohesion and everything in order. And that word was shalom. So they had this word, shalom. And it meant kind of like a deep peace, a deep sense of things being right with the world. Um, another word you could use here... Um, is fulfillment, maybe. And I don't know that there are very many people in the world who feel this deep sense of fulfillment or shalom a lot of the time. So how is it that we can have that sense of cohesion to our lives? Because Jesus says this, and we are going to come to the reading shortly, I promise. He says this, I've come that they have, that they, anybody? Sorry? May, well done, may have, this looks like three, so apologies, it's life, um, and have it to the full. He came that we may have life and have it to the full, a, a fullness of life, uh, a shalom sense of cohesion, that every part of our lives would come out of a central identity, that we wouldn't feel this tension of having to be someone that we're, we're not over here, uh, of not having the security and the freedom to be who we authentically are in our lives. And um, one more kind of like um, picture thingy diagram, and then we'll, we'll get to the, what, the lessons we can learn from Jesus' life to the, all of this. Um, can anybody guess what this is going to become? Because this, this represents... Um, how some people think that, uh, go on, it is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, can we give a round of applause over here, 
So I thought I heard it. I thought I heard it. Now, this pen is definitely too fat for this. But um, uh, there's a guy called Maslow. Hands up if you heard of Maslow. See, this being Chiswick, I expected there to be a few hands. Um, and right at the bottom here, he says that our base, 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 base needs are what needs? Like food, yeah, food, water. I'm going to call, I'm going to bunch them all together, our physiological needs. That's the long word for it. So it's the, 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 the things we need just to survive, food and water, things like that. Th then what's up here? Does everybody know? Some of you I know know, and you're itching. You kind of want to say, but you don't want to seem like the smarty pants. It's okay. What's the next one? Safety. Security, safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go with that. Am I safe? Am I about to die? Do I have shelter? If that's okay, then there's another level of needs. What's this middle one here? It's the first of our kind of psychological needs, our basic physical needs. Psychological needs, it starts. Yeah, Hannah totally knows. Hannah, go on. What's the next one? Uh, well, then blame your brother, because he was pointing at you like you could. Um, love and belonging. This kind of taps into what we were saying earlier. Everybody needs to know that they're loved, accepted, and valued. It's this fundamental, like, psychological need. And then above here, I'll just do it, um, is esteem. The sense that I've achieved something with my life, I have respect from people, um, a certain degree of success... People feel that they need that. And then there's one more right at the top, which definitely does not fit in here, so I'm going to have to draw an arrow. And they, they sometimes call it, depending on which version you look at it, self-actualization, or one, keeping this fulfillment thing going on, it said self-fulfillment. Terrible writing, you probably can't read. The idea that when all of these things have been satisfied, actually the thing that we long for is a sense, a deep sense of a higher purpose, that there is a, a, something that we have been called to in our lives, a specific purpose for us. And when we start working into that, we, we've really reached it. We've, we've got there. And all of us, it says, the model says, need this. Um, and, um, and Jesus says that he's come to give us life to the full, all, all of this stuff. And as we look at tonight's passage, we see um, some key insights to how actually some of those things are worked out in the example of the life of Jesus and what we can learn from key moments um, for him. But what's fascinating about this, I don't know whether any of you there are thinking about this, is um, this is all well and good. Oh, there are some other basic needs that have just recently been proposed down here that go even below the physiological ones. Do you know what they are? Wi-Fi and battery life apparently come right here below even food and water. And actually, if you see some of the youth come along on a Friday evening, they bring these like battery packs with them just to make sure that their mobile phones don't run out of battery power when they're here at youth. And yeah, some of them are kind of owning up to that at the back, I think. So, um, Jesus... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was going to say, the funny thing about this... The, the funny thing about this is Jesus had hardly any of these. And yet... Arguably, he was the most fulfilled, secure, purpose-driven, full person that has ever walked the face of the earth. That's why his example stands the test of time. We're talking about it tonight in Chiswick, over 2,000 years later. Because he lived, despite absolute obscurity, being born to a teenage bride in the middle of absolutely nowhere, with no great political power, no political power whatsoever, and a bunch of fools for followers. Um, you could not now, even if you wanted to, 
get some kind of magnet and extract all of his influence on all of human history around the world. You couldn't. It's just too great. So how is that possible? Because this guy, whether you're Christian or not, lived an extraordinary life. An extraordinary example of an amazing life. And yet, he often went hungry. He, the Bible tells us he, didn't, he was homeless. He didn't really know where to, didn't have a place to lay his head consistently when he, in his public ministry. Um, he was rejected by so many people, even those closest to him, in the most painful ways. Um, he was, um, the esteem thing, again, it, it looked like it was all going so well, but then he, he just didn't care about that at all. Uh, just when he'd be being popular and um, starting to feel like he'd achieved something, he'd, he'd move on, much to people's dismay, and go and spend some time in obscurity or praying or whatever it was. Um, and then the only one perhaps he did achieve was his ultimate purpose, but the cost of so much of these. And yet, despite not having what so much of this says that we need to feel fulfilled, he, he was. And he had purpose. And, he mean, and how? How is that? Well, we have some key insights, and I need three volunteers. You haven't participated in about ten minutes, so um, three volunteers, three hands, quickly. Otherwise, we're going to be here a long time. I'm willing to wait. Sam, can you look for Luke two forty nine? Next person, Tilly, great. Three twenty two. One more. Four, um, chapter four of Luke, verse one. Okay, so there are these three key verses, and one of them you'll notice is outside of our readings, a little bit earlier. You can grab your Bibles if you still got them. It's just turning back a page, the first one that Sam's going to read us. Let me give you a little bit of the framing around this, because I think there's three things that we can, insights from these three kind of key things that can help us start this series and start 2018 um, well, and it kind of links into all that's gone before, hopefully. Um, first one is... 2 verse 49 and this is the scene where Jesus is 12 at this age um, and he's just on his way back from Jerusalem or he was meant to be on his way back from Jerusalem having gone over there gone up for the Passover and um, absolute parenting fail Um, his parents the parents the son of God this helps all of us parents feel a lot better about ourselves um, uh, left him in Jerusalem started making way home and left their 12 year old son in Jerusalem didn't find him for three days and eventually found him um, in the temple. And um, this is what he said. Sam, nice and loud if you can. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Okay. Um, That's outrageous. So if you look at the verse just before, if you're following, um, verse 48, it says this. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. The word there for astonished could actually be translated kind of angry. They were furious. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? We could unpack this at some length, but the basic thing to understand here is in that culture, your loyalty to your parents, and particularly to your father, was absolute. It was the highest of values. So to not go with his parents... And to be found in this place, and then when they find him, to just say, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? This is my father. God's my father. Is, is outrageous. It's a shocker. They're astounded. They don't know what to do with it. It's not that he's a naughty child, because the very next verse says, 
then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. It's making the point this wasn't a disobedient child, but what he was saying at 12 years old and identifying was my absolute first priority is God. It's my relationship with God. It's my heavenly father. Above anything else. First priority. Uh, And so there's a challenge for us as well in that um, at the start of the year. Is he your first priority? Of the circles we were looking at, which draw three circles again, and one was to be faith. Is it the first one that you're going to try and draw other things into? Or are you going to start with life and try and draw a bit of faith into it? If you do that, the Bible says you'll fail. Or start with work, that's the most important thing. Or social media presence, whatever, that's the most important thing. And then try and maybe pull a bit of faith. It won't work. Jesus is saying your absolute first priority has to be your faith. Number one. And then try and draw these things and see how they come out of that central place. So that's the first thing. Second verse, 322. Who, who had that? Remind me, Tilly. Again, nice and loud if you can. Brilliant. (coughs) If the first thing is the choice to prioritise God, it's kind of our choice to try and prioritise faith or prioritise God. Uh, There was a young guy, 16 years old, who who walked into St Albans this morning, um, uh, all by himself, came along, and um, because he was trying to prioritise faith a bit in the coming year. Uh, if that's the first thing, the second thing here is nothing to do with us. It's to do with what God says over us or might say over us if we accept Jesus. So he says to Jesus, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are loved, you are accepted, you are valued. We singing it earlier, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And the Christian faith says that the way that you can know the relationship that you were made for with your loving Heavenly Father is through this Jesus who hears these words from, the heavenly, from his Heavenly Father. He's our access point. His death and resurrection, our forgiveness, is our access to this family. And when we're adopted into this family, we hear also these incredible words. You're my child, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased the weaned child thing. The Christian faith says the only way actually in life you will ever come to that sense of shalom, of fulfillment, of peace, is if fundamentally, first and foremost, you hear those words over you. By God, your heavenly Father, saying, I love you. You're my child. With you, I'm well pleased. Until we hear those words over us, we will be wrestling and fighting with other things that fight to compete to be the centre of our identity and our lives. The last thing that uh, we're going to learn, and we'll bring it into land, is um, this verse 1 of chapter 4. Stephen, can you read that to us? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Brilliant. 
choose to prioritize God, recognize that you are chosen, that you are loved, accepted, and valued by God. And the last one is to submit to the Spirit. At the start of the year, the start of this series is to submit. So, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. You could, um, yeah, I think we've probably just about got time for it. You could, um, you could uh, spend a whole other talk on the temptations that Jesus then went to face in the desert. It's just, it was a little thought, but it helps one or two people this morning, so I'm going to mention it again. It's really interesting that what the temptations that Jesus then goes on to face, we said that he had so few of those things in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What's really interesting, if you look at the way the devil then tempts Jesus in the wilderness, spirit-led, going where he's meant to be going, um, it, the way he attacks Jesus is he attacks him on these hierarchy of needs. So the first thing he says, he says, um, you need bread, don't you? You're hungry. Turn this stone into bread. This, these basic physiological needs he attacks, he has a go at that we all need. And, uh, and Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. I don't need that. Returns to the word of God. What he does in all of these, note, by the way, is what the devil's saying is, what is at the center of you? In these needs, these areas of needs, will you do it by yourself or will you keep, only do it with God? Again, there's that, that question, that challenge for us. If the center is God and our relationship with him, will we look for satisfaction in all of these different areas with or without him? And so Jesus first, physiological needs, bread. And then the next one is, um, I, I have authority over the whole world. Um, I'll give it all to you. You can have all the glory and all the splendor. It's the kind of the next thing, the esteem thing. You'll be valued, you're esteemed. And, and Jesus says, no, that isn't the way I get value and I get esteem, no. Last one, he puts on top of a temple in front of everybody. And he says, you can achieve your ultimate purpose, people recognizing you as the son of God and turning to you by, if you just throw yourself off, the angels will catch you. Everybody will go, wow, that's amazing. This must be the son of God. Um, but what the devil is doing is he's trying to get him to sidetrack the cross. Because that was the way that he was going to achieve his ultimate purpose here on earth and be recognized for who he was as the son of God come to redeem the world. And the devil was trying to get him to sidetrack that. So do you see in a way, actually, that the, the temptations that Jesus has sum up all of humans' needs, and yet he faces them because God is at the center of his life. And so he's able to do that. And as we go into the coming year, and as we look and search and long for that sense of um, fulfillment, of shalom, which we all do to some extent, I think, I want to suggest to us that the first thing that we need to do is make maybe a fresh decision at the start of this year to prioritize our faith and to prioritize God, as Jesus did when he was 12 years old, as in confirmation some people will be doing this year, is they'll be saying, actually, I want him to be the center and the first priority in my life and how I live it. Um, the second thing is probably, it's nothing you do, is just to receive if you receive Jesus, then you receive these words over you again. You're my child, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. 
And then the last thing maybe to do, as Jesus did, is then to, full of the Holy Spirit, submit to his leading for the coming year. That, that we might live out of that central identity and existence in every area of life, in every day of this year, a little bit more than we did before. Loved, accepted, and valued. And living out of that, not having to meet anybody else's expectations or what people think of us on social media or what our work colleagues, but being able to be ourselves, secure our identity in God every day of the year in every part of our lives.